Welcome to The Workplace, where we talk about the cultures we work in and how to make them better for everyone. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This episode, we're talking with Nicolette Barnard from Siemens about managing change, building more agile cultures, and why apprenticeships are poised to be the future of lifelong learning. Join us after the interview for Tangible Takeaways, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us and implement in our own workplace cultures. Nicolette Barnard is the head of HR for the Siemens Pacific region. A veteran HR leader, Nicolette is a champion for expanding educational opportunities, helping implement Australia's first Industry 4.0 digital apprenticeship in collaboration with Swinburg University and the Australian Industry Group a first-of-its-kind program and recipient of the National Australian Training Award. Nicolette was interviewed by me, and I think her passion for equitable education, especially in emerging technologies, is exactly what the world needs to rocket out of this pandemic depression better prepared for an unknown future. Let's get to it. Nicolette, welcome to the workplace. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me, Andrew. So I'd like to start at the beginning. Your beginning. What was your first job? And do you remember what the culture was like there? That's a very long time ago, but I do remember it, and it was not in human resources. I was a typist in a typing pool at a petroleum company in South Africa, and I do vividly remember the culture because it actually most probably determined what I didn't want to join in the future. It was an Hmm. extremely segregated culture uh, where people only in their own teams had a culture. There was no cohesive culture for the organization. Do you think that? That's what led to you being in HR now? I mean, did you always have an interest in the human side of work? I I did not know that, but yes, I I did. Um, I was always the one trying to organize to make things better. And I think that ended, uh, ended me up in HR. But I also think I really, that helped me understand how important who you work for and who you work with is. And um, whatever I can do in an organization to contribute to make that experience better is more important than how much we pay people or you know how we develop them. It's that personal human experience in the work that I think um, stuck in my head as so important because you spend so much time in your job. Mm. So how did you get into HR and you know your your journey to be coming head of HR for the Siemens Pacific region? I joined uh, as a personnel assistant, so because I was a typist in secretary and as a personnel assistant, and I studied part-time, realizing it was something I really was interested in. And um, I always say, I don't know whether it's um, for because of my sins or because of blessings, I um, get more work and more work as I try to improve things. And um, I'm actually one of those people that didn't really have the ambition to be, um, you know, the head of HR. 
Um, but of course, you know, when you take on more responsibility and you make a success of certain things, then things come your way. So if I look back at it, it's not like I set it out as a goal. It was rather smaller goals to improve things. Um, and the, the studies just fermented the, the knowledge, but the real experience, and that's also why I'm such an advocate for apprenticeship programs and on-the-job learning, is that I was studying whilst I was working. And I think that experience is so important and it kept me, it kept me going in my career, but it also kept me really good at what I was doing because I was studying as I was practicing it. And um, I actually became the head of HR for Africa in Siemens first. And then I immigrated, took a demotion three levels down, and unfortunately, I did it again. So I became the head of HR for Australia. <laughs> um, so as I said, it's sometimes I think it's more for my sin than it is for a as a blessing. Well, I think we should have more reluctant leaders, not less. I think it's a good thing. So you've been on a little bit of a journey of cultural change at Siemens. Uh, tell me about the culture there. What was it like? 10 years ago and what was it, uh, what is it like now 10 years ago we were actually still living a little bit of a compliance culture where um we had some compliance issues in the company globally and i mean this is public knowledge people can google this this is some of that you know the past that we prefer not to talk about but we've proudly come back from it you know for a 150 year old startup to come back from major compliance and bribery and corruption issues is quite a feat um and the um so that was a culture that we unfortunately 10 years ago we had to be compliant check a box you have to do this before you can act you have to fill in a form before you can give a hundred dollar gift to a customer so it it actually set the tone for how the culture was. People didn't move, people didn't make decisions because you have to check first. And luckily we're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So I guess the, the goals have changed over time. You know, it's like you said, 10 years ago, you were just trying to get the, the basics right. But what are your goals now for the culture there? I'm sure a lot has changed in the last year. Yeah, I mean, the last year feels like, uh, like 10, doesn't it? Um, so if I look 10, for the last 10 years, um, we knew about, I would say, six, seven years ago that that compliance culture is really great. And when I talk now, I talk from my experience with the company's global culture. And I'm 100% sure if people from Siemens listen, they would say, but our culture in Portugal is different than in you know, Kazakhstan or different than in, in Russia. But overarching, if I talk about the overarching culture, we realized the Germans published something around the fourth industrial revolution. So we've had the last industrial revolution in 1950. So it's almost like a pandemic. It only comes every, you know, few <laughs> so years. And for us to continue to be relevant in the future, we did not want to make that mistake again, like we did in mobile phones. And we needed to get to grips with what does this future technology industrial revolution mean for us? And how will we adopt this in our culture? The good thing was that we already had the ownership culture because we already had this act as if it, it's your own company. You won't bribe people if it's your own company. You won't put your own brand at risk. So that started to ferment in the business. So people act as if, behaved as if this was your own company. And it even became a saying in meetings. People would say, okay, we stand in front of a decision, what would we do if this was our company? And somehow that that kind of pointing north on the compass helped us get through that. But now how do you do that 
in an agile environment where the industrial revolution is going to bring change, and I think we've all experienced this, I think the pandemic has just accelerated digital transformation. So we've all experienced this in the last year very quickly. A lot of people had to learn new skills. What do we need to do in our culture to make sure people don't wait? They don't wait for instructions. They don't wait for a manager that says, now go learn this. Let me teach you this. What do we need to do? So that was a big flip. We then set, uh, I think HR set the way here. And I want to, um, it was no, no disrespect to our current HR leader, but our, our then HR leader, Janina Kugel, actually said HR should lead the way. Let us lean into the change, which was also why I wanted to talk about leaning into the change. We needed to be out there and try and do it first. So we became one of the first corporate departments to actually design an app for our HR, Ask HR services, that you can have a digital bot that answer all your questions globally, same bot, um, any question an employee might have around employment conditions or, or human resources. That was just an idea that came out of a scrum session we held around digital transformation and what do we need to do in the company's culture to accelerate this. And one of the ways we found was that if we lead, people will follow. So rather than try and change the organization, change us. And so it will become an envy um, and then people will follow. Well, it's great to have that kind of support for your department to you know, feel empowered to lead the way. Yes, and I think for her being on the managing board globally, I think that helps. Mm -hmm. You know, I think HR is no longer the transactional uh, organization that people think it is. Of course, we do transactions. We have a, a global business services organization that look after making sure people get paid because you can put a lot of fluff on people, but as long as you pay them every month, it doesn't help. So we make sure those things are um, set. But then there's the bigger, bigger picture topics that HR really needs to weigh in on. So I think maybe I can give you a few of the, the, the roadmaps, that the, the stops along the roadmap that we set out for ourselves. One of the things was we are a very silo organization. We think we collaborate really well, but over the last 15 plus years I've been in the company, I think every engagement survey say we can collaborate better. And maybe you find that in a, in a multinational that's in 190 countries, 300,000 employees, I'm sure you'll find it anywhere. But we really needed to break down the silos and make the hierarchy flatter. We had to squeeze the middle so that we can make the change faster and quicker and can also let the change come from, from the bottom, where lifelong learning is just a common practice, not because your manager sent you for training, where it's your own initiative that takes you there. And we very much knew as an organization that unless we meet this industrial fourth industrial revolution head on, we will be a Nokia or an Ericsson that has the technology but didn't meet the time at the time, it, you know, in the time that it needed to be met. That's, that was the journey. And if you look back at where we are now, we have removed several layers of hierarchy in our organization and that has made the organization much flatter and much faster. Still not there. It's a 150-year-old startup. It's a journey. It's not a destination. Yeah, a massive organization spanning, you know, so many countries and cultures. And you've managed to, you know, make some headway. Um, speaking of hierarchies, um, you know, you're not alone. A lot of companies are trying to flatten their organizations. Are hierarchies a necessary part of workplace culture or are they just an appendix, something we can live without? There's 
two answers maybe to this, because there's the one answer of me in the old world saying, but we need some control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need someone to approve certain things. But then there's the new world that it will just be too fast for us to have hierarchies that are too deep in an organization. And I think, unfortunately, hierarchy do bring bureaucracy. And one of the things you cannot have in an agile environment when you speak to any startup that move fast or, or any company that are innovative, you cannot wait. You know, you have to move fast on ideas. You have to change quickly. Um, what we, what I like to call fail, for, fail fast, fail forward, um, but fail, it's okay. But as long as you fail fast and you fail forward you, with your momentum, you're okay. And if we allow ourselves to make a few mistakes, we don't need those many checks. So I think in certain instances, hierarchy could still be good as a reference, but it doesn't mean, and I think a hybrid organization with a flatter, more node-based organization, and we can already see that working in, in our organization, again, where, where HR leaned into that, we changed our HR IT department globally to be a total node setup organization. There was for our internal structure and approval processes, we had a hierarchy. But as far as that organization performed, even the head of HRIT was also a coder. And he also designed certain applications. He did not or lead certain projects. He did not just lead the team. And different projects in HRIT actually had different leaders. So you would deal almost with the whole HRIT upper echelon um, on a project because they were also individual contributors, and they were leaders um, at the same time. And I think it might not work in every setup. So, And that's why I think we are, we are a company that would want to go for a hybrid uh, where there's certain things that are still in a hierarchy. But when it comes to innovation and everyday customer delivering excellent customer service, you've got to free the people to be able to collaborate freely together without bothering about can I or can't I talk to that organization because it's not reporting to the same as my organization. So one of my favorite things is learning new words. And thanks to you, I know one more. I'm going to butcher this, but metathesiophobia? Oh, you haven't butchered it. Uh, uh. <laughs> you got it right. And, it, you know, it's um, the reason why I chose that um, because I knew it would make people listen. If I just would talk about the fear of change, um, people will say, yeah, well, we're all scared of change. But this is really a, a phobia. And I'm not by all means saying that if you identify metathesiophobia in your organization, you have a lot of people with an irrational fear of change. Not, not at all means. But I wanted to use the analogy to say, if you think about phobia, there are literally people that will get anxiety if you implement another IT tool, if you mm -hmm. change a process, there, there are people on, on that spectrum. It is important that you are aware of that, and that is okay. Not all of us are the same. There are some people that want to change every day. And, you know, I would we are just implementing our flex work uh, policy that we are going for the long game. We are not looking post-COVID. We are, we are working on a this is our future normal. And... Um, in one of the sessions, one of the managers says, this is all great, but can we also change this? And I'm thinking, 
good heavens, just as you think you go fast enough, then there's someone who wants to go faster. And in any organization, you have people on that entire spectrum, people that have severe anxiety for anything you change around them, around their work, around their job. And then you have the people that prefer to change every day because they get bored with whatever was there. And I think it is a real big obstacle in organizations. If you have metathesiophobia, you are a bit stuck because you cannot, you know, when people say, well, if someone says to me, well, Siemens has to decide, then I say, well, who in Siemens? Because Siemens is just made up of a bunch of people. And if people have a fear of change, you won't move the organization. The organization will not move forward just because of one person. There is no Siemens. There is only a lot of employees that make up Siemens. And if we do not unlock that fear of change in the organization, we, we will talk about it until the cows come home, but it will never happen. What are the signs of metathesiophobia or metathesiophilia? I guess it'd be the opposite of it. You know, like what are the what are the things you can look for besides people literally saying, "Oh, I don't know if we should do that." Well, I, you know, I think one of one of the things that um, I have realized um, when when we started to look at it was those things you implement, but it just do not stick. So you implement, uh, we're implementing a new Siemens application for um, booking your seat when you go to the office. It goes hand in hand with flexible work. If I implemented that a few years ago, it would be available for two months and it would just die a very slow death because people just say, I've tried it, I don't like it, uh, no, or I'm not even trying it. It makes me too anxious. I'd rather take the chance of, of going to the office. So that. There's no sustainable progress or change in what you're trying to do is one of the first signs. Um, you know, and I think feedback is another sign. If you, if it's dead silent in the organization because of the change you're making, you should worry because, ah. you know, people speak up normally, but they don't necessarily when they have anxiety because they wouldn't want right. to be the one to say, excuse me, I'm anxious. This is really difficult for me. It depends on your culture, of course. Um, but those are, if there's no progress, if you look back at a year and things are still the same, um, even no matter what you've tried to do, you should ask yourself whether there's perhaps some form of fear um, and anxiety um, in your organization around the change or the future. Mm. Is there anything you can do for the really stubborn, the really fearful people who may or may not be in positions of power is how can you win those people over? Well, I think, um, I think you mentioned once the, the pet, you know, pets, like, you know, analogy. So is it like, you right. don't want to, you, you don't even want to, you know, have a pet snake or even bat a snake because you're so scared of it. And if you, if you look at that, how do you change that? So of course there were people will say to you, well, you can go for, you know, lots of, um, um, you can, you can even get acupuncture for that these days, but, you know, you oh, really? have lots of therapy for, for those kind of um, fears. But I think what, what it comes down to is how do you overcome any fear? If you look back in your life and in your childhood, how did you overcome a fear? It's when someone literally took you most probably by the hand, made you comfortable to be uncomfortable and say, just sit in this for a moment and you realize it's not so scary. And I remember that with my daughter being scared of water. 
and didn't want to mm. swim. And I had to start in a bath with a small little amount of water and go, actually, water is fun. And then we go deeper and deeper and deeper. And today, you know, she can't stay out of my spa bath. So, um, <laughs> and I think it's the same in any fear is we need to, this is a great opportunity for HR. This is our business, people business. We need to lean into this and help the people be comfortable to be uncomfortable. It needs coaching. It needs compassion. It is not something you can force and say, well, if thou shalt not change now, thou can leave our organization. Because then you actually leave behind people that should be on the journey with you. Because people questioning your change is also good for your change. You don't just want the people that quickly move with the change. You want those people who are scared and ask difficult questions because it helps you define that change and that purpose better and better and better. So I think for me, it's so, and, and I think I, I'm 100% sure globally, all those organizations who might have thought HR departments are not necessary during the pandemic, they realized, oh dear, we might still need these people. So, um, and it's for things like this, we need to be there to help organizations come through this. Uh, through coaching and through breaking down the barriers of engaging in our fears and leaning into that change. So many of the people listening to this podcast are in your shoes. They're looking to evolve their workplace culture or are already in the process, um, but they might not be sure of the, what the best way is to go about it. And I think that it's, it's your real-world experience and success influencing workplace culture that they need. So talk to them for a second. What advice do you have for other leaders looking to influence and improve their own workplace cultures? You know, it's, I almost want to say, whoa, am I to give others advice? <laughs> because we all, we <laughs> you all. might be the perfect person. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think we have to put ourselves, all of us in the shoes and, and, we, I talked about this um, in the shoes of cave people. Mm. At some stage, there was a group of cave people and one or two people said, hey, how about we go beyond that mountain? And, um, and some of the others were like, no, there's no way we go there. There's no water there. There's no food there. There are animals there that will eat us. We can't go there. But somehow they left some people behind and some people went and they went to the, to the new place. The question is, HR has to do one of two things, either stand up, stand tall and lead the change. And it doesn't have to be big. We started very small, scrum of a hundred people globally, you know, that, that changed the way HR thinks and works today in Siemens. And that has helped lead the way for us to become an agile organization. By no means do I say HR can do it all by themselves. That's not what it is, but it's being an example of what it can look like. Um, but stand up, stand tall. But there's another part where HR can play a role. We ultimately do play a role in what leaders we pick in our organization. And if we don't, we should play a role in who we pick in our organization. Whilst I say all of that, it sounds so easy, but I've had HR colleagues call me and say, how do you do it with your CEO? Now, I, I mean, I work for a, a great CEO who's a, an agile thinker, who's who's definitely not a millennial, but has adapted uh, into the millennial way of thinking. And that's awesome to work for someone like that. But what if you have a board that just don't want to change? And all I can say is just don't give up. 
it is so much easier just to change organizations and say, I'll go there where I can see the change is easier. But then you leave one behind. So we, we just got to work at it and start small. If it doesn't work at the board, start where you find that change agent. In your organization, I'm 100% sure in any organization with more than 50 people, you can find those change agents. Find them, do small things, and from small things, big things come. So, hmm. And maybe you can influence the board in that way by showing success in one way because we do know that if we, can, if we stagnate, we will become irrelevant. So I really think HR plays that important role and we should not um, – we should not do nothing because we're too scared or because we believe no one will actually listen to us. So we should try to build a coalition, maybe. Yes, build a coalition or um, or even do it in your own organization. Start there. Start where you can influence the change. One person asked me that and at some point we got to a point and I said, well, then if it really is that bad, just change organizations. But I would hope that, you know, that we don't need to do things like that, that we can actually change people uh, in an organization. Um, and if we show the way uh, that people will follow. For me, the talk that made what we do in HR relevant, and I can even talk in Australia. When I talk in Australia about what we're doing in Siemens around our apprenticeship programs and the digital future, they don't expect me to get up and talk about the fourth industrial revolution. They expect me to talk about the next leadership model or the best reward tool, or, but that's not what it's about. I'm not in this to implement the best compensation tool that, that will come anyway. I'm here to say, excuse me, all leaders, wake up. We are facing the fastest-paced, most complex industrial revolution this world has ever seen. It's almost like the pandemic. It's going to come and it is already somewhat here. It's accelerated the speed during the pandemic. You will all hear this on the economists talk about how the digital transformation is happening faster and they are scared because we haven't had the time to transfer skills correctly so that people become unemployed and that they have the skills to become employed again. So that is the biggest crisis that sh should keep HR people awake at night, not CEOs. Of course, it should keep them awake at night too. But if you lean in from that point of view, you come from a different position and you can possibly affect change because the Industrial Revolution is not just going to affect the way you do HR. It can make your business not survive. You're going to have to pivot your business or else you you know, will be one of those companies we all talk about uh, 20 years from now that says, wow, if they just listened. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the apprenticeship program that you have at, at Siemens. Um, obviously, it, it helps uh, current employees grow, but it must also be attracting new talent to the organization as well, right? Yes, and actually, um, talk about metathesiophobia and the apprenticeship program. That was one of my levers that I used in Australia. So I, um, we Australia is not very... Um, they have apprenticeship programs, but it is the previous industrial revolution program. So it's great. It's automation. It's hairdressing. It's all of the great things. No, nothing wrong with it. You know, one of maybe you don't know this little piece of information. The last industrial revolution, one of the most profound changes and growth in jobs was hairdressers. And hmm. it had 
nothing to do with uh, industrial revolution. It had all to do with dispendable income because people ah. had more um, automated jobs. There was more money, so people could actually go for a haircut. So, which is why I actually got my haircut by my mom, and my daughter goes to a hairdresser. So that was thank you to the last industrial revolution. So there's these unplanned things that could change. But in Australia, we didn't have that. And uh, and globally, we have a very successful apprenticeship program. We take in tens of thousands of apprentices. And in Germany specific, being apprentice is the same as having a, a qualified um, degree. You are treated in the same way. In actual fact, you're very sought after talent. Whereas in Australia, unless you have a degree, you don't matter. So I wanted to change that thinking in the in the Australian industries, but also bring in different thinking people into our organization. So we haven't had an apprenticeship program in Siemens Australia for a while. And we went on a journey with the government to design the very first global digital apprenticeship, digital engineering apprenticeship program. So we've won a few awards for it. But what's the biggest award for me is that the first 20 people who came into the organization and one of the biggest things we taught them is that there's no boundaries. It's all about mm -hmm. mindset. We did not do an induction program to say, this is our company. We've been here so long. We said, here's the webs. Here's your computer. Here's the internet. In two hours, we're coming back and you need to tell us who, who we are. You go find the information and, and induct yourself into our organization. And by doing that, we said, everything you're going to do, you're going to have to find yourself. You're going to have to make it work. We are not going to feed you because we've had that culture of we'll give you and then you do. And those, those 20 people, and some of them were just kids and some were adult apprentices, they have fundamentally changed and accelerated the digital transformation uh, change in Siemens Australia. It is still, it's four years later and it's still talked about the, the most critical moment for Australia to know that people had to change, our thinking had to change, and our customers realized they had to change. So it's now being um, rolled as a government program uh, throughout Australia. So more than one university now, there's seven of them that are actually universities are rolling out apprenticeship programs um, to actually bring the digital transformation um, and the engineering knowledge into the one and the experience into one um, qualification. So really good opportunity to bring talent and people you know, if you're stuck in that fear, just bring 20 young people in that think differently. And as long as you protect them and you make sure that you give them a voice, uh, you know, I, I had personal contact with these people every week to make sure that they are protected and that they can speak up so that we can make change happen. You will be surprised and astound at how much you can change in an organization. That's really incredible. So you mentioned the fourth industrial revolution, right? That's the most recent one. What? Yeah, it's the one we're in right now. <laughs> right. What's the fifth? Oh God. What's, what oh, is? <laughs> we don't. We don't know. Well, right? Yeah, that's where I. We, say, we can speculate. That you know? is when I retire, and that's when I retire. <laughs> I, I um I I always I always used to say, you know, I will work hard, and we'll transform, and we'll be human and robot together, and we'll do this. The first bullying claim I have to handle between a robot and a human, I'm out. But um, maybe maybe it's now moved. I, I will even handle that. I've, I've adjusted. I've changed too. But um, we don't know because we actually don't know yet 
You know, anyone who tells you we are ready for the fourth industrial revolution talks nonsense because then they don't know what it is. IoT mm -hmm. is not fully, not 100% there yet. We are still at just at the start of the journey. No, of it's just refrigerators that. that can get you the weather, you know. <laughs> yeah, and all this data that does nothing, right? So although there's a lot more to do with data, but then there, and there's cloud computing, and that's almost already like, yeah, and so what, blockchain, yeah. The blockchain can change the world, yeah, then and what then? Um, so, yes, those things are there. The cyber-physical world, I think, will expand. So where things are not, you know, I mean, already look what you and I can do. We're on different ends of the world. But can you imagine with technology 20 years from now what that could look like? You know, maybe yeah. I can actually appear in person. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Please don't. We don't have some Siemens technology. But, you know, I think um, more than just accelerate the efficiency of the technologies we have today, it will also build new ones. And if anyone tells you they're already working on the fifth industrial revolution, they have no idea what the fourth one is as well. There's still a lot to go through to know what that would be. I can imagine in 10 years or so we will already know that. But it's not the 5G network, let me put it that way. It, you are talking technology that uh, most probably we see in movies today that is just a thought of someone that is not bent in reality just yet. Mm -hmm. So I wish I knew. But as soon as I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of already answered my next question, which is uh, what do you think the future of work will look like in 10, 20 years, but it sounds like uh, robots, robot-human hybrids. <laughs> well, yes. we. So Siemens globally is actually one of those companies that say, do not be scared, do not be alarmed. We have done digital transformation for a while. A lot of our factories, because we, we you know, we always talk about you, you um, eat your own dog food. So we have transformed our own um factories first before we start selling it to, to customers, so digitalize a, a factory, and there's still humans involved in it, <laughs> So, um, which is why it's so important that we keep skills up to date, because the technology will come, the changes will come, but if humans do not have the skills to engage with the technology, to develop the technology, then it will come to a point where you become irrelevant. Just like the previous industrial revolution and the example I used for you on hairdressers, we cannot predict what the new business models is. The one thing we know we can rely on is that the human survival skill is awesome. And humans will find one or another way to somehow make it work. But we're going to have to adapt because you're going to have to make it work in a very different world than in, in 1950. So, we honestly believe that the digital transformation will create more jobs than it sheds, lots more jobs than it sheds. There's all these alarmists out there that says, oh, look how many jobs we've lost. But look how many jobs are open and are available and how many companies say how difficult it is to find STEM skill job, uh, job seekers. It's in every country, salespeople, every country, it's there. We all find it difficult to hire those people. Why? Because we've not pivoted the skills focus of countries in the right way. Stop training this and start training that. You know, so um, the, what will the new future look like? I think um, the new normal on steroids. 
Um, for us in Siemens, our employees won't go back to the office as it used to be. We have launched a global policy of two to three days working from home on average for every employee that can. So obviously not for our factory workers, but everyone else will not go to the office anymore. You'll work from a flexible work location where you want to be. Um, that has already significantly transformed the way we do things. Um, you know, we don't do scrums. I don't travel to Germany for a scrum anymore. I do a scrum on a, on a concept board. Um, what will that look like in 20 years? Wow. I, I, I can't yeah. even imagine. So um, the only thing we can do to prepare our employees is to continue to be open-minded, speak up about what you're not comfortable with, lean into the change and, you know, take each other's hand and let's walk into the journey. We can, we can only do it together. We cannot do it alone. Um, and that's maybe something I've talked about skills a little bit. Let me say to you, we talk about lifelong learning. And as HR, we've always said lifelong learning is so important. It is, it is relevant more than ever now. Um, so we do not schedule our employees learning anymore. They have to schedule it themselves. It's a, called My Learning World, and they have to educate themselves in the things that they feel they need to do their jobs better or to do a different job. And that's also, I think, part of the new future is that learning organizations will completely change. Yeah. Maybe that's the next digital revolution is in learning. It's already yeah. happening. It is. We've, got, we've already got virtual classrooms where you sit in a virtual classroom with people from around the world. It's very freaky to do, but it's really efficient. If you could snap your fingers and remove a corporate buzzword or phrase from the universe, what would it be? Agile. <laughs> I'm afraid you used it a couple of times. I know. <laughs> I know, because you know what? Because people get it. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to say flexible, transparent. There you go. Well, we'll just give us a clean version of flexible and we'll go in, in post and replace it all. Oh, yes. If you could do that, that would be great. <laughs> So what's one thing about how your workplace culture has changed in the last year that surprised you? I think the appreciation for HR taking a leap of faith. I think that feedback from leaders, um, specifically the apprenticeship program, that surprised me. I I did not expect the turnaround to to be acknowledgement and saying, wow, Thank you. We, you know, we, we, you might have had to convince us at the time, but we are grateful you did. Well, that must be nice to hear. It is. It is. <laughs> feel, makes you feel relevant, right? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, who was the best boss you ever had and why were they so great? And I, I'm sure many people will say the same answer, but it must be my, my current CEO. And I, and I tell you, it's because it's amazing to be on the journey with him to understand um, how he pivots himself as well, how he challenges himself from, you know, uh, and he would reprimand me for saying a different word. So I'll just say from a previous thinking, I wanted to use an age analogy and he would not like that. But from um, from the previous approach to leadership and the new approach to leadership and how he's adapted um, and just that he's authentic, you know, he is who he is. And you can have conversations with him. You can differ with him. We can have great 
discussions. <laughs> you know, the new the new normal policy took us three months for him and I to debate each other on it. What do we want to do and what what's the long game we want to play? And I can't think of working for, for anyone to work with them differently, to feel like he I respect him as my superior, but I feel that he's a sparring partner in the things that we need to achieve for the business. And that's and I can trust him um, also with, you know, it's not easy working in a flexible work environment, being a, a mom uh, living alone with a 10-year-old daughter during a pandemic. And his understanding and support of that is just, um, you know, has been just amazing. Who are your heroes? Actually, all the strong female leaders in the world, and I'm sorry to make this about gender, but... I come, no, not from at all. An, I come from an era where I had to wear black and white to be relevant in a boardroom. I had to speak very loudly and be very assertive. If anyone had to listen to me, Nicolette, you will not make it unless you speak up. Um, and when I look at it now, it is so awesome that there's so many female leaders and they're all really heroes for me. I, I hang on to, on to female leaders, whether they are in small organizations or in countries, um, just to see how much they've had to overcome to get there. And for me, they are, they are really all heroes. And people I, I let my daughter listen to and, and look into and study to make sure that she understands, you know, doesn't that mind your gender or your sexual preferences or the color of your skin. You can be who you want. Look at these people who walk before us. Here, here. Who are your villains? <laughs> I have one in mind, but it would not be politically very good to. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Actually, um, I'll describe a villain. Can, can I do that? Am I allowed to? Do yeah. That? I don't oh, you anyone. don't have to name names. <laughs> um, I think um, cynical, cynical people or people that are, there's a huge, and I don't want to get political, but there's a huge um, uprising globally into institutions and into things that, you know, let's do it in this way because it's better for all, not better for some. And people who are disruptive of that um, really, you know, they are the kind of people that I wish we could change <laughs> because I think there's a place in the world for some structure, some structure. And there's a place for freedom. But if you have both, I come from a continent that, you know, struggles and grapples with that and the people suffer. Um, so I, um, yeah, I think those people that want to just disrupt for the sake of disrupting, those would be my villains. Oh, fair enough. Uh, what's the last thing that you read that's really stuck with you? <laughs> you know, a book, an article, it could be a tweet. Four books, actually. Uh, the Dalai Lama's Cat. If you haven't read it, um, I've listened to it. I haven't read it, but it's a definite must read. It takes you on a journey of understanding the human being in the shape of a cat, um, which is, um, there's so much, it's such a fun story to read, but there's a lot of moments that you have to pause and reflect and say, you know, maybe I also just need to be some days, just be a human and um, understand that I am human and that I do make mistakes and how can I recover from that in the most humanly possible way. What does your ideal workplace culture look like? 
I would say if I describe it in one word, it's a participative culture. It's a culture where everyone can feel that they can be heard and mm. where we share leadership rather than leadership top-down. Um, and I think where people, without having to do big, huge change programs, understand and buy into the purpose of the organization and no matter how we do it and what we do we all work towards that one purpose so that culture of cohesiveness towards the the one future purpose um, in our organization i couldn't think of a better place to end it nicolette thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you thank you so much you've uh, i've enjoyed the experience a lot thank you so much appreciate it Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we take big ideas down off the mantle and carefully disassemble them, piece by piece, sorting and labeling them before meticulously cleaning each part in a blend of oleic acid, ammonium hydroxide, methacel, and pine oil, removing the decades of dust, grease, and rust, so that when we put it all back together inside the mahogany and ironwood inlaid case, it purrs like a newborn kitten as it counts down the seconds until the heat death of the universe. The first is to lean into change. Agile, adaptable cultures come from embracing the uncertainty and charting a new course with confidence. And they don't do it by decree. They do it by building coalitions. With Siemens, they started small, identifying agents of change and empowering them to start making tiny tweaks in a new direction. And with each tiny tweak came a tiny success results they could use to prove that the new course they've been charting was the right one, which allowed them to get more support and buy-in from the board so they could make bigger changes, start innovating and revolutionizing. It sounds like a slow and steady process, but really, it's exponential. That is, it gets faster as it gets faster. Because every tiny success that gets the board on board, the more you can make. As Nicolette puts it, the more comfortable you are with being uncomfortable which means that even if you're driving a giant 1,300-foot-long container ship clocking in at 228,000 tons, you can still turn it like a dinghy. The second is that while we don't know for sure what the next industrial revolution will be, probably AI personal assistants that we can't help but fall in love with, what we do know is that apprenticeships are probably the way we'll get there. As Nicolette's work has proven in Australia with the Digital Engineering Apprenticeship Program, apprenticeships are accelerating the transformation of higher education. With their pay-to-learn model, they're creating an entirely new class of professionals. These new-collar jobs have the potential to close the skills gap for good and launch the careers of countless people who might otherwise have turned away from tech jobs, thinking it just wasn't for them. And considering how many engineers it took to start the last industrial revolution, we're going to need all the help we can get. The third isn't a takeaway, it's a question. What do you think the next industrial revolution will bring? 
History tells us that post-pandemic periods are filled with innovation, new technologies, new jobs, and new ideas. And even though we're not out of this thing yet by a long shot, it's a good time to start planning for what comes next. So, what will come next? Send your guesses and speculations to the workplace at octanner.com, and we'll try to build an episode out of it in the future. And if you get it right, there's a prize waiting for you in season 10. Think we can last that long? Of course, my dearest Andrew. As always, this episode was written and produced by yours truly, with original music and sound design by Daniel Foster Smith. If you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a burning question about workplace culture or a story about why your workplace culture is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octanner.com. Follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter with the handle at OCTANA to learn more about upcoming webinars and events, like our virtual culture trends tour and annual Influence Greatness Conference. The Workplace is sponsored by OCTANNER, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OCTANNER's Culture Cloud provides a single modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com.